The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. You're listening to the MJ Cast by MJ fans or MJ fans. The idea is to uh, innovate, or else why, why am I doing it? When I create my music, I feel like an instrument of nature. You let it create itself, really. I know I do. And I love to entertain. That's that's one of my favorite things. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news and discussion on the King of Pop. Welcome to the MJ Cast. I am Q and I'm here with my co-host Jamin Bull and a special guest host Jenkins of another great Michael Jackson podcast that I love, Moonwalk Talks. Today we have the honor of talking with someone who worked in the studio with Michael Jackson, indeed on some of the fan community's favorite MJ tracks. That is right. We are here with none other than C.J. DeViller, bassist and mix engineer. C.J. has had the honor of working with artists such as Quincy Jones, Boys to Men, Glenn Tipton, Ray J, Van Halen, P. Diddy, Ice Cube, Pharrell and the Neptunes, one of my favorites, NSYNC, and of course, the legendary king of pop, Michael Jackson. We're so honored to have CJ here today with us to share some stories on his career, how the stars aligned for him to meet and work with Michael Jackson. And yes, we'll get to hear about moments around CJ in the studio with MJ. CJ, it's a pleasure to have you here joining us on the MJ cast. Welcome. Well, thank you so much, fellas. It's a pleasure to be here. I like talking about Michael. It's a lot of fun. Oh, it's really it's really exciting for us. Anytime we get a chance to to speak uh, with someone who worked in the studio with the King of Pop, it's 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 just a great honor. Uh, it's always fun for me too. I get to share with some of my friends who were able to sometimes too. So we've heard you're quite the storyteller from a friend of ours, Damien Shields. So we're we're looking oh. forward to this. <laughs> you actually featured in his book, didn't you? Escape Origins, I think. Yeah, he gave me uh, he gave me a nice little write up in there. I think he enjoyed our chat. And uh, I liked how we put it down. You know, when you tell a story, especially about Michael Jackson, you're not really sure how it's going to end up in print. And um, Damon did a, a really wonderful job. I was very happy with it. Yeah, he's a great guy. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Yeah, so where are you Skyping in from? You're in the U.S., right? Yes, I'm in uh, Manhattan Beach, California right now. Great. So we're pretty much all over the world. Q and I are from Australia, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's far away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we might we might um, actually kick things off now uh, with some of our questions, and we love starting things by uh, getting to know sort of the early stories of our of our guests. So, um, would you be able to take us back sort of to your childhood? Talk to us about where you grew up and what sort of childhood you had. Uh, I grew up in uh, Orange County, California, very close to Los Angeles, or people would consider it part of Los Angeles. But I live not too far from Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm and all those places. And a typical suburban neighborhood. And that was it. Uh, My first early music memories would be the Beatles. That pretty much, it annihilated me when I was six years old. I didn't know what was going on with my head and the sound that was going on that they were making. But that pretty much kicked off my early early years. And then, of course, the radio got me into Michael. So I was hearing all the early tracks all over the radio during the six. I'm 55. So I was, I'm just a couple years younger than Michael. So we kind of grew up same era. So the music, the radio, that's what got me first for Michael. So, so how did you like originally get into a part of where you wanted to create music? 
Well, really, I was, uh, I guess, the, really a few piano lessons and a few guitar lessons through my life sort of got me interested in it. I, I never really took off with it. I always sort of dabbled. And then I ended up in a few uh, after high school sort of, you know, noisy bands. And then uh, I, uh, I ended up answering an ad in the paper for you musicians, you know, just someone just writing in saying, Hey, we need a bass player. I, I answered it and, uh, went and played bass with them. And in about a year I had a record deal on Epic CBS, which was yeah. actually the same. Yeah. Which was the same label as the time as, uh, Michael or the Jacksons, I think. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I, I got involved with, uh, bands, uh, around about 20 years old. And that's what, that was kind of the early part of that. You mentioned that you were at this time listening to some of, you know, Michael's music and the Jackson's music. What songs in particular were you really getting into at that time? Wow. You know, it was just the hits. I, I wasn't really, I was funny with music and my, my parents weren't real big promoters of music. So I was kind of left to my own accord. So I really just sort of ran into music. I, I didn't have a whole lot of records. So I was constantly just chasing down radios. And so really all the input I had from culture was strictly from the radio. So for Michael music, it was all the hits. Like Don't Stop Till You Get Enough and that sort of thing. That stuff. Yeah, you know, and it was just killing me. And I just loved hearing that stuff. And uh, all the way through Dancing Machine and, of course, um, watching the television all the time, all the variety shows, the Jacksons were everywhere, all over television during the 70s. So you didn't have to go after them. They were everywhere as far as my time and my culture was concerned. Uh, the Jacksons were all over the place. <laughs> and when you like listen to the music that you love, be it the Jacksons or, or anyone, was it the sort of instruments or the production that sort of drew you in that you were sort of trying to get into and dissect a little bit more? No, I, I wasn't overthinking it at all. I was just going, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I, I want to hear that again. And that's, I still listen that way. I'm, I consider myself a very, I don't like technical things in music. I'm, I'm, I may be kind of a weird engineer, but I always tried to take the technology out of making music. I, I, I always kind of felt that's why Michael liked what I did. Uh, I wasn't fussing around with all the boxes so much, you know. Absolutely. Uh, and he's quoted many, many times in his books and things saying uh, exactly mm -hmm. that, saying get out of the way of the music and just let it create yes. itself. Yeah. So I wasn't uh, the type of engineer that was like, in, oh, you know, I love these buttons and I like this piece of gear. And I, to me, they were just tools that had to work very quickly so I can forget about them. And I knew he was that way. And many artists are that way, uh, but really kind of inexperienced engineers are all about the gear. Anybody who's made records, it's all about, yeah, the moment and, and getting intensity and getting energy. But um, I forgot your question. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> so, like, I can see that you've played bass on a range of sort of tracks with many, many artists. Was the bass the, the bass guitar the first instrument that you were attracted to? Or how did that sort of start out when when you were first getting into it, other than like answering that ad, was there any other instruments? Well, well, I play a little bit of guitar, I play a little bit of keys, but I really, I'm kind of a cheater. You know, I understand how computers, I mean, and, and Pro Tools and all the, all the cool so audio software. So I can make a whole record and play all the instruments as long as I'm able to edit the crap out of myself, I can do pretty good. But uh, a bass I can pick up and play and, and get along with most bands. So, and, and that started, out of high school, 
and I just sort of dabbled for a while. I didn't get serious until my first band, and that was about 1983. I got serious playing around then. What kind of band was it? My first band, uh, we were, <laughs> we were like Duran Duran. We were. Our hair was huge, and our clothes were <laughs> nice. Our clothes, our clothes were beautiful, and you know, and we wore makeup. We were totally androgynous, and uh, we we had a record deal on on CBS, and that was my first band, and uh, we made a record and we toured. We opened up for Cindy Lauper and a bunch of other things, and uh, huh. and then we were we were on the same label as 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 the Jacksons during the Jackson Victory tour, so there was some cross label people involved. So we knew his manager and his manager knew us, things like that. Did I answer your question? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> okay, I've, I've got one. Is that when you had the the really like big blonde hair? Yes. Uh, I saw that picture just before. I was like, that is a cool look. That is 80s awesome. Man, it, 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 a lot of people love that a lot because the 80s are coming back for a lot of people. They love it, but it just, it's just, it's just complete hilarity for my nephews. So they, <laughs> they really like to, they, they, because they're in bands too, you know, but they're in punk rock bands. So it really doesn't quite mix. So they don't get the 80s. It looks like the 50s to them as far as we're concerned. <laughs> Everything Funny. comes back around. It right, good. So I'm glad it's cool. Thank you for saying that. Thank God, <laughs> my God, it's awesome stuff. I love the hairband '80s sound as well. The '80s hairband metal. I love all that sound as well. I get a lot of calls like, "Do you have any more of your records left? Do you have any more of your tapes, CDs?" That people write me and they want me to send them T-shirts and posters. I have none of it. I've given it all away, but I still get calls for it. So I'm, I'm a little surprised. There's a bit of an undercurrent out there for. Old, old material from the 80s and things like that. It's kind of a mind blower for me. What was your band called, sorry, at that point? The band was called Bang Bang. Bang Bang, awesome. We'll have to get some stuff and put it in the show notes. Is it on iTunes? It, I don't think it's available anywhere. This was, uh, this was like, like being put out on CD in 1984 was like you had to be like 5 million seller to get a CD back then. Only Madonna and Michael Jackson got CDs, you know. So we wow. were vinyl. Yeah, cassette. So anything vinyl cassette really doesn't have much play on the internet. So we just on the cusp of that time, we just kind of missed the digital upload thing. So you won't find much out there. I, I, my sister has an album somewhere, you know. Yeah, but you might you might find something. It's pretty rare. So what actually we, happened with your band? Did you guys like? How come? Did you guys break up, or what happened with that at, near the end? Well, that, I mean, that was we got politically hammered by the uh, the label. Um, Frank DeLeo was was Michael's manager, and a guy named Larry Larson was the was the uh, the the brothers' manager. So Larry was was managing the brothers, and Frank was managing Michael on the Victory Tour. And those two, uh, Larry and and Frank, they were at odds with each other managerially wise. So that tour really didn't end up making them friends. It I made them like mortal enemies, I think, at one point. We were on Epic CBS, and so was the, the, the Jackson's record. So Frank took it upon himself to be a real pain in the ass and to show Larry that he didn't have much pull. And he pretty much crushed our record at the label, and they were just over with us. It was, it was that, that old story you hear about the label infighting and bands getting shelved. That, that, that's exactly what oh, yeah. happened to us. 
So, and we had already toured with Cindy Lauper and NXS and Berlin and Talk Talk. And I mean, they were spending gobs of money on us. It was going to be a big, huge release. And just about a few months before that, they just pulled the plug because of politics and just people just like, you know, playing games with each other. So, yeah. Less, lesson learned. That was my first record deal that almost happened and was was crushed in the most amazing way. So, I learned a lot. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. It well, was crazy. do you. Do you feel that like um, since your band did get to open up with all these amazing artists and you you had um, such contacts with them, do you think that was maybe a, a, around a breakout moment where you got an opportunity to, to work with all these artists, or did yeah, it have to come about another way? Well, it, it felt that way then, but you know those are working touring musicians; they really live and die by their attorneys and and and, and schedulers and managers. So. You can meet all the artists you want, but it, it, it really doesn't, I mean, they're busy, you know? So we met yeah. people and met Michael Hutchins and met, you know, Cindy Lauper and, and rapped a lot and, 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 and did that kind of thing. But the minute we were off the tour, we didn't, we didn't keep talking anymore. All you can really do in this business is kind of keep running into those people and you end up being friends, but everybody's so busy, you know? So mm -hmm. no, no one really is friends in a way. It's just kind of, giant uh, fields of acquaintances that's what the business sort of feels like to me so how did you get to the the next point to where you were working with uh some of these artists like p diddy and and neptunes and stuff like that what was your breakout moment to get there well after the the bang bang record uh the the lead guy and i pretty much broke up the band and reformed under another name and made another record on atlantic records and then i quit that and joined another band on Island Records. So I was really just, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh yeah, I, I guess I could say I was being somewhat of a, of a, of a band whore, I guess you could say, <laughs> so to speak. I was, I, I was really just leave. I was just going from record deal to record deal, having a great old time, partying like crazy, but mind you, touring all the time, having a lot of fun. And uh, then I got burnt out. I just hated it. You know, um, the road didn't agree with me. It's too. It's too insular. It's too bubbled out. I, I, I don't travel well. So after a few months of that, it kind of wore off. And I realized, and I was mixing bands live in between uh, tours. So that's how I was, I didn't make much money on the road. I made it kind of home mixing bands. So I knew I didn't want to tour anymore. I knew that I really didn't want to go for the whole band thing anymore. I didn't want to keep keep, you know, trying to be a bass player in a band. That was just, I was just sort of over it. It was 10 years uh -huh. straight of some, of some decent success, I guess. So I decided I was going to make records. I figure, well, I like working the gear. I know how. I know how to make records. I'll just make records. I can stay in L.A. I can do work on cool music all the time. I can work on big records. That was the plan. So I ended up joining a studio, and um, I already had a lot of knowledge because I already made three or four big records. I already mixed maybe 4,000 live shows. So I was really, Whoa. yeah, I was really kind of dialed in. So in about a year at this studio there, I just took off, went to another studio and, and told them I was a, a chief engineer and they hired me as a chief engineer after one year working at another studio. I got away with it. <laughs> and bam, I was just doing it. At that point, I, 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 this one studio called Devonshire Studio was just crazy. It, 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 they, they were weird with the money, so a lot of bands were coming in, a lot of acts were coming in, and the Temptations came in one day, and they just, I mean, I was around, so I recorded them on a, on a, on a song, and and I worked with the Glenn Miller Orchestra with, like, the original guys at this place. It was just crazy. 
That's so awesome. I cut my, yeah, so I cut my teeth at the studio and just got into it. And then in about maybe three years of doing that, I found myself at the record plant. And the record plant is the best. Mm. So once you end up there, you're really good at what you do. You can handle any situation. And whatever happens, you're, it's, it's, you're the man there. So, so record plant pretty much was that demarcation. As soon as I was out at the record plant, I felt like, okay, I'm making records for people now. So at that point, I was actually not a musician anymore, even though I, I still was, but I was fully invested into making records around the LA studio community. So at this point in your career, because, you know, looking at your um, biography and things online, I was kind of under the impression that you were like, you know, primarily bass guitarist, uh, instrumentalist, and then moved into engineering. But it seems like you were kind of doing both of these things at the same time. Um, yeah, did you help. Did you have like a, a preference, like you preferred being in the studio mixing or playing, or you just loved both equally? Well, uh, in and out, it oscillates. Right now, I'm not so hot on on and working a lot of uh, production. Right now, I'm sort of into to writing right now. So I'm not, and I can't do both. Mm. I can't be working on other people's records and then turning on my computer and going, all right, I can't wait to get down on my stuff. It it, it doesn't work. You get burnt out. So you, you have to invest in, in one thing or another. So when they did happen at the same time, it was a fluke. So so your, your impression was right. I mean, my early career was all musician, and then I ended up in the studio, and then my musicianship ended up in making records at the same time. Right, right. Um, I'd like a great example would be uh, Glenn Tipton. I, uh, I I was engineering on his record, so I've been working on it for some months, and uh, it was real late at night. And he was going to catch a, 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 a like a six a.m. flight, four in the morning. We're trying to finish up months of work doing quick rough mixes. But a few days before that, I told him I can play some bass. And I said, hey, "Bring your bass down, you know. Bring your bass down. We'll plug you in. We'll see what we can do." And blah blah blah. And I was like, "Oh, great, you know." <laughs> So I set it in the corner and he looked at it for a couple of days, but I wasn't going to bug him. Anyway, back to him about ready to leave. So as a joke, he's packing, getting ready to hit the airport. I, I go back and I stick on my base and I walk out and I go, okay, Mr. Tipton, I'm ready to lay down my base parts. Well, he felt terrible. He was, oh, mate, I'm sorry. I was going to get to you. You know, oh, geez, I got to go. And I was like, man, I am just so messing with you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So six months later, I get a call from uh his assistant uh and said glenn said uh, to uh uh pick any bases or gear out he's coming in on this date we booked a room at devonshire studio and you're gonna record some bass for glenn i was like holy crap uh, really i you know i uh, he was just making good on, on 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 something i said i mean he's such a gentleman you know he's he's really a an up an upstanding cat you know so um so I get the call and I'm like, okay, great. You know, uh, so I, I order, you know, the bases I think I would like to try and the, and the cabinets and all this stuff. And then Glenn flies into town with his buddy, uh, another producer named Mark Dodson. Mark worked on some records I worked on with him and he was the engineer on this record. So I was kind of co-engineering with Mark Dodson. So they came in a week before and they said, hey, you know, so we went with us. We were going to dinners afterwards for about a about, about a week before the session. We were going out because I was helping on the record engineering and we were working on other stuff with Glenn. And then they were needling me every night like, hey, you know, 
you're going to play on Glenn's thing. You're going to be okay. You're nervous. You know, they're like needling me. And I was and in front of people, in front of like, like Lemmy, you know, we're in front of Lemmy. Lemmy, they, they were trying to give me a hard time in front of Lemmy about me playing on a record and me being nervous. And I had mentioned to Lemmy, I said, you realize I'm playing on Glenn Tempted's record and he's never heard me play before. <laughs> so Glenn was sort of embarrassed that that was, that was true. You know, Glenn never heard me play. <laughs> So why am I playing on Glenn's record? I'm like, I was almost confused. So I was giving them crap back, you know? And so anyway, <laughs> they gave me this one song and it was a speed metal. It was fast, very intricate, very fast, speed metal, all of very difficult stuff. Okay. And he already had Billy Sheehan on his record and Robert Trujillo, right? So he had two of the greatest bass players in the world on his record. And here I am getting ready to play on, on a song. And I'm like, you know, they were giving me all kinds of help. But anyway, luckily I had a tape. I practiced five nights later. And after all this hell they've been giving me, we finally get to the studio. And finally, I'm the artist. I'm sitting in there in the chair, you know, and they're getting a sound for me. And I'm I'm playing the bass like an idiot for them. You know, I'm I'm getting a, like on purpose. I'm messing with them. I'm like going doink, doink, doink. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm practicing poorly, you know? Yeah. So they think that scare them a little bit. Yeah, you know, or let them think it's a wash. We're just doing this because we love CJ. He wants to play on the record. Okay, all right. <laughs> we love him. We were friends like that. They were pulling off a session for me just to be nice. Blah blah blah. So I'm like, I'm like, you ready? I'm like, ready. You know. And they said, do you want to run down? I said, no. Drop me in. You know, just go ahead and record me. And I said, okay. They dropped me in, and bam, I hit that bass like a champ. Went through the whole five-minute long song. I hit every note. Solid. Bam! End the song. And they sat there with their jaws on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) Then Then they were jumping up and down like crazy. They couldn't believe what they were hearing. So I did a few more drop-ins, repeated a few things. And then we went out to dinner. And they celebrated, and they and and then they booked more time, and then uh, more time, and more time. And I ended up playing on uh, five songs. <laughs> so I'm on I'm on record with Trujillo, Sheehan, and me playing bass, and some Cozy Powell on drums. This this is some really old. This is some old old stuff. But that was one of my favorite favorite uh, you know music stories that where I ended up in the studio. Yeah, that's that's a fan. That's that's awesome. I love that. Phenomenal. <laughs> well, then Glenn, Glenn Glenn called me up a few months later because he's finishing up the record. He's putting it together, uh-huh. and he called. Me. He goes, "How would you like to be credited?" And I said, "Well, I engineered uh, I engineered a bunch of songs, and I played bass on the songs, so I'd like credit for those." And he says, "Well, oh, mate, I, we, we can't be having your fucking name all over my fucking record, can we?" <laughs> <laughs> He was all pissed off that my name was going to be all over it, you know, uh, and, and so and more than anybody's. <laughs> so there I was up against the problem to kind of answer your question. I was up against the issue of being a bass player and being an engineer on a record at the same time, because that's an issue. So I told Glenn, I said, put me down as bass player. And he goes, oh, that's a good choice. <laughs> so. <laughs> Jackson. His new album, Invincible. Order Michael Jackson's Invincible now and get a free poster. Order Michael Jackson's Invincible. Call now. 
hey, this is really, really Brad Sundberg, studio engineer and technical director for Michael Jackson and host of In the Studio with MJ. You're listening to the MJ cast. I engineered a bunch of stuff, but so I took the bass credits. And the same thing sort of happened with, with MJ. Actually, almost exactly the same happened with MJ on A Place With No Name. I mentioned I can play. I brought my bass down. It was kind of a fluke, you know, and just Michael loved what I was playing. So, so you have so, to share, share that story then. That was a lot of fun. I mean, I mean, working with Michael alone, um, what a thrill that was. And, you know, the energy of the man is, is it's true. It's just the, the musical aura of this guy is, is, is huge. And, of course, I grew up with Michael, so I had a different, maybe a more powerful reception to that. But I was also in, you know, production for many, many years, so I wasn't starstruck anymore. So I can't say that I was starstruck with Michael. I just felt that he really was a real musical power, you know. So when I was uh, working with him, we I only been working with him for a couple months. How did you come to first work with him? Sorry. Well, that was an interesting story. That I was at the record plant, and I was one of the top. I was one of the chief engineers there, so they always put me on the. Um, on the tweaky sessions, on the ones that were difficult or people were hard to work with or things like that. So uh, Rose, uh, Rose Man Cherney, she, Rose was uh, booking the record plant. She was um, running, booking, I'm part owner of the record plant. And um, she put me on um, a session with Michael where Michael was going to test out engineers. He was looking for an engineer. He was, he was looking for somebody to work with. And so I was, uh, Rose put me on the session as a second engineer. So basically I come with the room. I make sure you have a smooth session no matter what. So this was the, maybe the, the second or third time I worked with Michael as a, as a second engineer. I worked with him a few years before that with, um, Eddie Delena. But, um, so Michael explained to me, he says, we're just going to, we're going to check out some of these guys. I'm paraphrasing. I can't remember exactly what he said, but basically we're going to check out some of these guys. We're going to go through the motions and we're just going to, you know, I'm going to, you know, check out these engineers. I said, great, whatever I can do. So he kind of had a schedule. These guys kind of coming in and he was going to meet them. He was going to work with them for a second. He was going to let them go. And that's what we did. So the first guy came in and I, it's, it's good that I can't remember their names because they would be <laughs> embarrassed with the stories. <laughs> But these were guys who had Grammys and things like that. And um, so the first cat came in. Uh, Michael sat it down at the chair and Michael just was throwing, you know, kind of questions and production things at the guy. He was trying to figure out the level of, of sophistication of, of, of technology because Michael really wants someone to perform in the room. And so he asked him to do something very unusual. Now, Michael... One of the main things Michael does is the comp vocal track. So Michael will sing a bunch of tracks and, and will we'll construct a vocal take out of many takes. And so he asked this engineer to do it in a very unusual way on the SSL console. He said, I want to comp a vocal on, on the console. And that was very unusual. That, I knew that right away that Michael was throwing this guy a curveball. You know, he gave him, yeah. you know, he was just testing him. So here's a test, dude, you know, sink or swim. And so the dude was already sort of like going, oh, damn. <laughs> you know, I can see him going, oh, okay. So he was sort of poking at it. And then, you know, 10 seconds later, you know, nothing was happening. So the guy was sort of stuck. Well, just by the near, just by the 
mere nature of why I was there working as a second engineer, I stepped over the guy's shoulders and I hit the correct buttons and got him going, you know. And then he sort of got moving again with Michael and they were practicing some button switches for the comp. And then the guy got stuck again. I leaned over and hit the correct buttons, you know. So I was sort of keeping the session going, even though Michael was sort of testing this guy. I I couldn't help it. It's kind of what we do, you know. Mm. So that, that the guy got out of his chair and said, you do it. (laughs) <laughs> I feel sorry for this guy but what a great opportunity for you well yeah and the guy did the right thing because you know he he knows that there's somewhat of a code i guess you can call it a code but you know no matter what happens the session doesn't stop michael is the is is the point so when when it, when two engineers are in a room whoever can do it is going to do it yeah. so he naturally got up out of the chair and said, you do it. And that, that would naturally happen because we're trying to get a session going for Michael Jackson. And that was sort of what was, and so the guy was correct in his, it was, it was the astute thing to do, but it wasn't what Michael wanted, obviously. So, you know, they, they worked a little more and they had a nice conversation and Michael is always very gracious and very sweet man. And he sent him on his way. And that was the day for that. That took a few hours to get through. And, um, I, I thought that was very interesting for me as an, as, as an engineer in the room. So Michael and I parted ways for that day. We came back the next day, and there was a new guy. And this happened three times, but the other one was, was kind of like this one. This is kind of a similar story. So another guy came in, had the exact same chat, but this time Michael threw a different uh, technological issue on him, but this was easier. And this was comping on this Sony recorder. It's called a 3348. It has all these buttons, a million buttons on it. And, of course, I was very fluid on it. So the guy was sitting down, and he kind of should have been fluid on it, I thought. And he was kind of, you know, same thing, kind of not, you know, Michael's very, you know, Michael's very, you know, you can tell that it's things got to be snappy. I mean, Michael is not, you know, you got to go fast. <laughs> as fast as Michael is, is, is the whole idea. So the so the the second engineer was trying to get through it, and I kept leaning over, hitting the right buttons. And that guy, of course, being the astute engineer that he was, did the exact same thing. Got out of his chair and said, "You do it." So I got out in the chair and I started comping with Michael. And so Michael was looking at me like, "Dude, you know." And I was like, "Oh well, you know." So so the same thing. He finishes conversation with that man, and um, three or four days later, after one more guy, we only tested three guys. It's kind of the same deal. Michael looked at me and, and said, why don't you be my engineer? And I said, yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, 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 let's, I'm ready. Let's do this. Let's work, Michael. I want to I wanna get to it. And he's going great, you know. And that was it. Uh, the next day, uh, some, some uh, assistant from some attorney uh, plopped a 30-page contract in, in front of me, and I signed it, and that was it. And the next day, I was uh, – Working in the studio with MJ. Wow. Now, at this point, were you guys, were you guys still working as far as studio stuff? Were you guys working on digitally yet, or was it still tape? Uh, it was digital tape, so it was both. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was the Sony 3348. That was that was Michael's favorite machine. And believe it or not, it was it was it was 48 tracks on half inch, but it was a gorgeous sounding machine. Um, they were they probably weigh about 800 pounds. They Back in the day, they cost, uh, I don't know, $150,000. Yeah, those things are pretty massive. Yeah, you can't give them away now. You can't give them away. <laughs> They're just throwing them in the ocean now at this point. So, mm-hmm. um, 
<laughs> so yeah, that was that was Michael's preferred format. We were doing a little bit of pro tooling, but back then we were uh, let's say transferring. We were taking stuff off off the Sony machine, putting it into Pro Tools, doing our edits, and going back to the Sony machine. And that was kind of Michael's mo back then. He wasn't he wasn't sold on staying in uh, Pro Tools totally yet. Oh, okay. So I've just got to ask too, just so uh, just for a bit of context for my own my own head. So you said you worked on some Michael Jackson material prior to this with Eddie Delano. Now, yes. would that have been during sort of the mid to late 90s? Yes, exactly right. That would have been uh, 94-ish. Yeah, so that would have been for the History album probably. Probably. You know, that was at Royal Tone Studios to be exact. And, you know, Michael kind of constantly works and then those those songs turn into records. So... I would say it was definitely that grouping of songs. Okay. You worked on those songs with him and then later sort of came back for Place With No Name? Place With No Name was, uh, that was fall of 98 was when I played bass on that. And uh, I had recorded, uh, oh, wow. You got me You got me in a corner of my mind I haven't been in for a while. Uh you probably know better than I do. I, I'm, I don't. I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge. I just. I just kind of go by my experiences concerning Michael. That's that's fine. That's fine. We're just trying to. Yeah. I'm just trying to get my head around like what exact songs. So it was like a history, rough history era songs, and then it was a place with no name, blue gangster, blue gangster. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and that was ninety eight, ninety nine. Got it. The story for the uh, bass playing. So I was working with uh, Doctor Freeze who was a real awesome cat, man. He did, um, he did a place with no name and, um, and he did some of the early boys. Uh, he did poison, you know, those early, uh, new Jack swing hits during back in the day. So he was working on, he was Michael's producer, one of Michael's producers. And we were, uh, Michael, we, we were dropping in some rough vocals. Michael was still kind of writing lyrics with uh, freeze and we were dropping in some uh, quick, rough mixed lyric stuff. And I had mentioned um, uh, to Michael and Freeze that, oh, they said, they said, oh, maybe some real bass. Like they meant live bass because Michael is usually on a synth bass guitar. I mean, it's yeah. synth bass. It's usually that stuff, right? So they mentioned that, oh, maybe I want, you know, live bass on this. And Freeze thought that was a good idea. Well, the minute I heard that, of course, I was like, okay. Well, I play bass, you know, and this is my this is my Glenn Tipton moment again. I was like, all right, let's try to do this again. I said, well, listen, I play. I've, I've played for years. I can drop in and see if you guys like it at least. Maybe you hear something. And they're like, yeah, well, I can, I can bring my bass down, you know, all that, all that stuff I like to say. And they said, yeah, bring it down, you know. So same thing. I, I bring it down and I take it out of the case and I sit it in the corner so they can see it. Because I'm not going to mention it again, you know what I mean? To be, I don't want to yeah. be forward and rude. I want it. I don't want to be discovered. I don't want to be for forceful, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, freeze, you know, says, Hey man, this, this, this might be a good time, you know, to, to drop in and try out some ideas. Well, it was a bit early, you know, when I knew Michael was still in the uh, lounge and cause I didn't, Michael didn't know me as a bass player, even though I mentioned it to him, I, I, I wanted to, I didn't want him with me while I did it. You know, I wanted that would be a major distraction to have Michael Jackson in your face. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> while, you're, while you're trying to work out what am I going to play, you know, you want to yeah. go there in your in your mind, you know. And so, I 
I told Freeze, I, I, I want to wait till he goes. And he said, yeah, okay. So a few hours later, it was later in the evening. Michael's always gone by then. But, you know, we don't check up on him. Like, you know, have you gone yet, Michael? You know, we're not going to do that. So I just figured he'd left because he'd never been there that late for a while, at least. So I strap on my bass. I plug in. You know, I get myself a sound. I'm, you know, going through modules and things. And I, I find a sound. I'm like, this is pretty heavy. I kind of like this. And then I, I hit play on the recorder. Freeze is right there. I hit play. I just got an input. I'm just sort of jamming around trying to get some sounds. I'm sort of feeling around. I think I have something I want to do. And then I see Michael uh, walk out the door of his lounge. Now, there's nothing but glass in all these booths. So Michael has to go through two rooms of glass before I before he comes in our third room. So I'm like, so it was a long it was a long walk from Michael leaving that room, walking into the studio, because I'm like, going, oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> He's here. Hell oh, wow. I'm not even going to get a chance to play. This is it. I'm going to have to put the bass down. He's going to want to do something else. You know, my moment, you know, that's fine. I already, like, I was residing it to, like, going, oh, well. That was pretty good. I gave it a good shot, you know? So he walks in. I stopped tape immediately, like I got caught. And... <laughs> He's going, what are you guys doing? And I'm like, uh, just laying down some bass. And he's like, can I hear it? And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, so I didn't record anything. So I, I, I go to the top. I, I hit play. I'm on input again. So I'm playing along, playing the idea. And he's going, yeah, okay. And so I, I'm coming up with this lick at the same time. I'm still searching for notes. And, you know, I had, it was a very simple thing. And simple is hard. <laughs> If anybody here is a musician, you know, being original and simple are the two hardest things you can put together. Yeah, very and, true. Uh, right? And and so Michael is in my face while I'm trying to do this. And he's going, are, are you recording any of these ideas? I said, no. And he's like, oh, my God, what are you doing? He's like, he's like getting mad at me. You know, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. You know, so I, 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 but he was excited, you know, he wasn't mad. He was just like, let's do this. I'm liking it. You know, so I, I hit record and I just take off like I'm a rock star, you know, so I'm playing and he is just, he is grooving with me. He's playing air guitar. He's biting the lip. He's getting in the face. He's clapping. He's throwing up his arms. He's like, he's jumping up and down with me. And, and, it was really kind of throwing me at first, but I realized that he's trying to get me going. You know, uh, he, this was, this was after the session. I realized that he was all about inspiration and he just wanted to inspire me. So he would, and he, I got to say, I guess he did, you know, because I ended up coming up with the part kind of during that. And so I stopped tape at the end of the song. And he's going, oh, I love that. That's so stinky, CJ. It's so stinky. You know, stinky <laughs> for him was like, you know, awesome. I love it. Yeah. And he goes, let's do it again. So I go to a new track. I drop in. I'm playing. I'm trying some different ideas. And I'm all over the place, though. I'm having fun because I'm playing slides. And I'm in his face, too, right? We're both. It'd be kind of like it was kind of like being on stage with Michael. That's what we were doing on the studio floor. It'd be like if you saw a show with him and he's he's got the guitarist and he's in the guitarist face. We're like, yeah, you know, so it was that kind of a thing. And so I dropped in three or four more times and I laid down another one that was really solid because I knew as a musician, like, oh, wait, it's not all there. You know, I there's sections I didn't play and 
if they try to put this together, you know, it won't all be there. So I played a really solid track so they can at least assemble something. And then that was the one I used for a quick mix. So after I was done, Michael was ecstatic. I, I, I was going, what the hell's going on at that point? Because I was like, oh, my gosh, he loved, he's loving what, what, I mean, in 30 minutes, I did all this, you know. And so I did a, I did a quick mix. And uh, he thanked me again, and he left the studio. And that was the last I heard of it. That was it. I was like, well, that was fun. You know, there's no way I'm ending up on this record, you know, but that was fun. That's, that's what I thought, you know. And then that was it until 2000. And when did the uh, TMZ leaked, leaked uh, 30 seconds of that song, right? Yeah, that's correct. That happened just after he passed away, I'm pretty sure. That's right. That's right. And then a friend of mine played me that. And I said, oh, my gosh, that's the song. And I said, oh, my gosh, that's me playing bass. <laughs> so I'm like, what is going on? This is 10 years later. So I was really excited to hear that. You know, wow, you know, a little, I'm on a little 30-second clip with Michael Jackson. I took that as like, I'll take that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got that. I got, a, I got a story. I got a clip. Everybody got a Because I was telling the story, but, you know, I had nothing to – I had no proof. Yeah, yeah, nothing, right. nothing to back it up. Everybody's like, "Yeah, sure, you played with Michael Jackson, <laughs> right?" <laughs> so uh, you know, you get. Yeah, I didn't get a whole lot of that, but you, you get that in everybody's mind, you know. Or it wasn't yeah. solid enough. So then I heard he was making a record. I heard there was a record coming out, and I realized that wow, what if they put this song on there? How do I get a credit? I had no idea how to get a credit. I tried to call the camp. Everybody was different. I tried to get to the managers and the estate people. No one can get me a call there. I called uh, an attorney friend of mine. I said, listen, I'll pay you. Just badger these people. Let them know I played bass on this song, you know? Yeah. And he said, there's nothing I can do. They're just like, you know, it's it's locked up right now. I said, it's, it's, it's crazy because I was calling at the exact time they were working all this stuff out, which is really, that's when the door sort of closed, you know, because mm. it's just. People are jockeying for positions. It's it's highly politicized getting a credit on uh, on an MJ record. And I was sort of sort of uh, I worked on Break of Dawn, and I didn't get credited on that. Wow, that's one of my favorite all time MJ yeah. tracks. It is beautiful. I didn't get a credit on that. It was just I had no power. I had no. I had nothing. I didn't have I didn't have representation. I didn't have an attorney. I was kind of a loose punk rock engineer at the time. I wasn't. I didn't have my shit totally together, fellas. You know, I was like, you know, I was swimming with these big stars, but I was playing. I was I was I was on my own. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Anyway, at that point, I think it was a couple of years before that. I, I wanted to tell my story right after the TMZ clip came out. So I wrote a post. I wanted to tell my story. I wanted to tell it in a way because I was getting a lot of emails, to, you know, about it and what was going on. So I, I wrote out that story as best as I could. I'm. I'm not really a storyteller, but I, 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 I wrote it myself. It's a little, it reads okay still, but I wish I can change it. Not a storyteller? I'm pretty sure you're doing a good job on this show, man. <laughs> yeah, 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 we're loving the story. So. This is amazing. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, and then, uh, well, to make, to make that long story short, you know, the record came out and there I was. Excellent. And I was thrilled. And the engineering stuff's good. I got engineering credits on a couple songs. That's great. But the bass one is the one. Yeah. Um, because it was with Michael. We did it together. 
You know, it was inspired. I mean, literally, I, I, I don't know what to think of it other than I, I, come, I come up with these little factoids, I think, in my mind, like that has to be the quickest bass session on any Michael Jackson record ever. <laughs> Very true. I mean, this guy takes five years to make a record, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that was literally, it went, that went down in, in five recording passes. Four, that went down in 30 minutes, you know? And, and then he worked on it for 10 years. You know, I was reading some of Freeze's stories, and they were going to studios with it. And when I read the stories after the fact, I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, Michael had all the chance in the world and all the means in the world to put somebody else on there, to change the bass. To, to, to get the greatest, you know, to, to get whoever on there. And he never did. And uh, so I, I get a big thrill out of that. So the base credit is the one. It's the creative credit. It was a, 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 a creative process with Michael Jackson is what I cherish the most about the whole thing. It's one of my favorite tracks. I, I had that little leak. Like I put that on my, my iPhone to listen to just over uh-huh. because – I loved that. Like, yeah. you know, it was always a classic track when it was the uh, the America track. So it was already yeah. such a great, great melody and, and hook. But when that leak came out, I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And I'd, we'd always, right. well, I'd always prayed to hear the whole thing. And then when we got to hear the, the original, oh, my God, it's right. such a good track. It's just I loved beautiful. it too. Yes. Yeah, the – uh, you know, Michael loved that song. I mean, who didn't love that song, especially yeah. if you grew up during that time? It's still a huge classic. You know, Michael is a, a real artist, artist, artist. He wants to work on things just because he wants to, you know. Uh, I don't think Michael sort of much makes plans with music. I think he sort of just muses and goes forward and just lurches and has fun with music. And we get the benefit of doing what he wants to do. So I think he just loved that song so much, and so did Freeze. And, you know, the hip-hop culture, it's very natural to flip anything. Just flip any song you want. And so, you know, that was Michael and Freeze just putting love into it, you know. Uh, I don't think they went after that track like it was supposed to be put on a record. I, I think it was even more personal than that. Although I think Freeze tells it a little, a little different, that they went after it in a way, but... I would go with what he says over what I say, but you know, the, the feeling I got during the time is that they were just having so much fun trying to play with this melody and the lyrics and the music and, and, and really having a good time flipping this classic track and, you know, a successful flip isn't easy. And I thought that was just wonderful. You know, I thought it was great when I heard it too. Well, America liked it as well. Yes, that's right. I had great things to say about the, the new version. Yeah, and I, I suppose it helped me uh, loving that song when I was playing the bass. I suppose because before I played on Michael's version, I had heard that song ten thousand times since I was a kid. So I, I got to wonder if that wasn't in my you know spirit, so to speak, while I was playing, while Michael was in my face trying to inspire me too. You know, I almost channeled that bass part. I think through all those things at that moment. So. You know, uh, studio magic, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in it. You know, it, it seems kind of a, uh, you know, a little magical thing to stay, but that's what those people are all about, uh, those people. Huge stars or huge music makers, you know, they understand how to get inspiration down to disc or whatever you want to call it. And that's what matters. 
And um, Michael, I think, may have been the greatest at that. Uh, another thing I noticed about him was that musical energy was relentless. I don't know. He, he was like a child in a discovery sense. Like usually a guy around his age is somewhat jaded, kind of over it. The studio's old. You're like, oh, come on. You know, you're, yeah. you're, your ears are a little like, you know, you're a snob. I mean, you can't help it as you get older, especially, if you're, you know, Michael and I were in our, you know, he was in his 40s at that point, just, just in his 40s. But he still had that wide-eyed, like, searching for it, uh, searching for magic thing. And mm. it was very obvious in him every time I worked with him. He was reaching for that, and so few people do. But yeah, I, I wanted to bring it back because uh, I, I did want to say about the uh, the remix album that they did, uh, the Escape or whatever. Um, yeah, the new version of A Place with No Name. Yeah, I just I I, I I do have to agree with you. They just didn't hit the mark on that one. It's like I just feel oh. like like and and I, I don't know if you since you haven't really had a chance to listen to to the. Um, I mean, I, you, you said you heard the uh, remix album, but I think what yeah. happened was that they they never showed him the original song that you did whenever the new producers made the new oh. song. So they had no really? clue yeah, that it was a remake of that song. And um, uh-huh. and so they, they totally went a different direction with it. And then they showed him the song after they'd already made the remix. And they're like, oh, oh, it's supposed to be that. <laughs> Are you kidding? So, that is yeah. crazy. Yeah. So I think that they oh. actually probably would have went the direction that you guys were going, like they were supposed to, if they would have heard the song beforehand. I wish they would have. I wish they would have. Like like a thing they could have done with that particular mix, that it would have been okay. Other than they they took all the backgrounds out of the hook. Yeah. You know, they just made it just kind of solo Michael singing the hook, and when you when you hear the original hook. It's got the huge, ridiculous Michael pad that we've all grown up with. That's kind oh. of a, right. And if they would have had the huge Michael, let the bigness come in of his vocals, it would have been. I'm getting a little production technical here, but I, I felt going to the solo voice was like a little too stripped down, you know. And yeah, I don't know. It sort of missed the mark on some other areas, and you know, also. You know, if you're going to go with that big 808, that doesn't translate on a lot of systems that people would normally listen to a Michael Jackson song. Very it's true. Kind of, right. It's kind of a it's kind of a thumper that really won't translate over smaller systems. So it sounds a little empty, you know, on, uh-huh. on systems that don't bump, you know. So I don't know. It, it was OK. I, I, I kind of like the fact that everybody likes the version I played on best. So, yeah, I can play that a little bit. I'm not exactly mad. You know. Yeah, and luckily, lucky for us, that version is still available for us to go listen yes. to. <laughs> yes, Thank God. Exactly. As I drove across on the highway, my Jeep began to rock. I didn't know what to do, so I stopped and got up and looked down. I noticed I got a flat. No cause on 
This is Michael Prince, studio engineer and producer with Michael Jackson, and you're listening to the MJ Cast. Um, another song that you worked on was Blue Gangsta. Do you have yeah. uh, any stories about that process with that song? No, that was pretty straightforward. I, I recorded mainly the instruments on that and some of Michael's scratch vocals, which were amazing. I, I thought Michael's detail with the vocals was really gorgeous with that i i when i heard the finished vocal i i was really i heard michael jackson at 40 something being great mm. you know what i'm saying that's super mature like like you, you, you like like jordan you know he doesn't need to be fast anymore but he can still beat you because he knows where to go because he's 40 you know what yeah. i'm saying yeah yeah so michael kind of had that super experience sound even though the youthfulness may have been off the edge a little bit there was a different kind of experience in his magic so i heard it on blue gangster so i really enjoyed hearing that i think mike ging did most of the vocals on that and i did all the instruments on that and some of mike some of michael scratch vocals yeah and that that song continued so, to be worked on um, for a long time. I think after you you worked on it, um, just just adding little bits of percussion and stuff here and there. I think Michael was working a lot with um, Brad Buxer and Michael Prince. Yes. Did you have much involvement with those two guys as well? Uh, not with Michael Prince. Uh, we passed in the halls occasionally. Uh, we you know he knew who I was. I know who he he, he is, and uh, you know. Uh, Michael had several engineers going at once. So, you know, there was there was a few engineers caving in a studio somewhere and we would see each other at a distance. So that's how I knew Michael. We, yeah. And maybe a quick chat at a party. And that was about it. But Brad, I worked with quite a bit beforehand. 
Yeah. So I knew Brad very well. And we, we were in the same circles. We had some of the same friends. I always felt that like uh, Blue Gangsta, I'm sure you're familiar with Timbaland. That's uh, the, yeah. the hip hop producer. I always felt yeah. like maybe, like later on down the line, Blue Gangsta kind of had that Timbaland feel to it. Like it was supposed to be made by Timbaland or something. <laughs> uh, 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 well, I got to say, man, what he did to that was amazing. I can't believe it. I mean, um, the remix version of it is stunning. So I guess it lent to his, it played into his hand a little bit. I loved what he did with it. A lot of people get mad at the remixes. I'm not mad at the remixes at all. The only one I'm mad at, I shouldn't say mad at, but the one I thought they missed a little bit was the A Place With No Name one. I thought that was a bit of a miss for me. But that's a very young sounding track too, and I'm an older guy, so maybe that's an issue. (laughs) But the the original's way better, gotta say. Yeah, for sure. You know, of course I'm completely 100% biased on it. But but the other tracks, Stellar. I mean, I mean, I mean, oh my God, uh, really great. Michael would have loved them. Michael would have loved them. The orchestral introduction to Blue Gangster is really magical. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. I mean, you know, on, on Blue Gangster, you know, Jerry Hay, he did the horns on it and he did a wonderful job and Timberland kind of mixed them out and he, and he had to, you know, he had to. So you know, poor Jerry Hay, you know, he, uh, those horns on that, on, on the original are just absolutely ridiculous. I love horns, but, um, but yeah, Timberland's, um, remix is redonkulous. So I, I thought it was great. <laughs> and the vocals sounded great too. Wonderful. Um, I want to ask a little bit about a song that you worked on. That's quite mysterious still in the Michael Jackson fan world, uh, and the uh-huh. song is Monster. Yes, yes. Uh, there's still a lot of sort of misinformation out there about it and and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. I'd love for you to take us through the journey of, of Monster and what you did on it and Michael's sure. vision for it. When I got to it, it was pretty involved. It was already, it was already over 100 tracks, and um, I was at record one. And we were uh, we recorded vocals on it, so I I, I uh, made a work reel. So basically, we were in the room that had I don't know it had like a hundred and two input SSL, and we needed that actually. Mm. Um, I had uh, two Sony machines that were full, so that was ninety six tracks. Ooh. And um, so the the orchestra there was an orchestra laid out, huge amount of percussion. There was flies buzzing. There was it was it was very experimental. I mean, it sounded like a very personal Michael Jackson song to me. Very personal. And the it I would say, and I use this analogy often, but but it's not exactly inaccurate. But it's very much I, I kind of took it like kind of one of his Sergeant Pepper songs. Mm. You know that that he went kind of art instead of. Uh, Instead of you know, instead of trying to hitting us over the pop noggin, you know, like he like he's great at doing, you know, I, I, he reached down into some um, in kind of a different place for this song, more I guess more um, challenging to listen to would be the best way to put it. So it was very interesting. Um, so I had to take uh, all those tracks. I did a mix. He was coming into the studio occasionally, but then I had a long uh, two day. Uh, uh, period where I didn't see him when I was at record one. So I, I, I mixed up for as long as I could 
and then made a work reel, which means I took those 96 tracks and I got a third Sony machine, locked all three up, and I put eight tracks down to the work track. So I had two tracks of drums on it, two tracks of uh, effects, two tracks of keyboards, two tracks of uh, percussion. And then that, that released 40 channels. Of yeah. Okay. So then that was our vocal reel. So after I had made that, uh, Michael would come into the studio and would sing on uh, Monster. Now, I don't know if, I guess Monster is the name of it. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the hook, the hook I recorded, he sang, you created a monster. That's right, yeah. The hook that he sang. Yeah. So maybe that's the title, but maybe it's just Monster. Can I just ask that on, on that note, like I, I've heard this song before. I don't know what sort of state of completion I've heard it in, but I've—I mean, the accounts are right. It sounds instrumentally probably, in my opinion, the most complex Michael yes. instrumental I've ever heard. There is so much going on; it's incredible. But the vocal I've heard, the the version I've heard, there is only the hook you described in the chorus. There's no other vocal. Did you just did you record any other Michael vocal for oh. that song? Wow. Oh, that's a good question. Oh. <laughs> I'm probably taking you back here. <laughs> wow. You just like, oh, my mind. I'm going to pass out. Hang on a second. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. We like to get into detail here on the show. So. <laughs> well, no, no. This is, this is a lot of fun. Um, well, um, now I definitely recall the hook because yeah. we did a huge stack. We did a lot of stacks. Then we did, yeah, we, Okay. I remember filling a lot of stuff. Now, we did a lot of experimental vocals. Uh, he may have sung some verses. I don't know if they were experimental to him. Yeah. I don't know. Let me put it this way. When I recall almost filling that reel, 40 tracks, okay? Yeah. Now, was it with verses and a bridge? I don't know. Maybe had some skeletal ideas of that. Yeah. But I know we practically filled it. Uh, yeah. I mean, he actually, I actually had a problem. I, 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 he, he's so fast that he remembers where he is in tracks and stuff. And he wants to go back and he wants to record an idea. And then he wants to go to this section of tape and record an idea. And then he wants to go here. Now we're on tape. So, this is when I made the money. <laughs> I was paid right, you know, because what made that difficult is that we weren't in Pro Tools. So you can't see the audio about to come up. Yeah. You don't get to see audio. You, you, you only, it's only tape and needles bouncing. So he would ask me, oh, there's a section of tape here. I want to record something. Well, right after that is the bridge. So I have to be careful to take it out of record when he sings on a section that has something after it. So the vocal section session was after about a week was getting complicated. There was parts flying around all over this reel, including the hook that you mentioned. And um, I remember he was singing something and I can see a note I wrote because I was furiously writing notes because I couldn't keep up with Michael. It's like, you know, I, I also had to keep him from making a mistake. Right. Part of my job, too, was to help him not screw up, you know. So he was singing and we were coming up to a part that I was about to record over. So I was like I was I was at a catch 22. I had to drop out. 
So I had to, I had to drop out in the middle of a vocal. <laughs> and so I dropped out. He goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, my God, Michael Jackson's yelling at me, first of all. <laughs> I'm going, Mike. I'm going, Michael, Michael, it's the, the, the beatbox was right on that. It was right after. He goes, oh, thanks for dropping me out. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, you know, I was like, dude, you know. And uh, so by that story alone, that meant we were cramming the tape, you know. So I'd have to say there was a lot of stuff. Mm. Um, in the rough mix you heard, I mean, maybe the vocal session I had with him it's hard to say. I did that in '99. Yeah. Did Michael? Did Michael ever talk to you about the song, like Monster, and the, his vision for it, and where he wanted it to go? No. No. He um, he he did. Uh, he liked my mix a lot. He liked it so much that he he made me um, he made me put it to a to, uh, to a half inch analog machine, which I thought was kind of funny. He just loved it in his headphones so much. I had two days to work on it, so I wanted to uh, give him a mix in his headphones to sing against that he would enjoy. So I, I really made something that'd be fun to sing against, and and evidently he responded to it. So he he liked it enough to uh, print it. So maybe that's what that's what people are hearing, you know. And and I may have done it with just the hook in it. I don't know, because I made I did some rough mix version for him so he could take it home and maybe sing in the car or whatever. So. Michael probably had 30 versions of it. Wow. Um, as, as someone that, you know, just does enjoy sitting and listening to records and music, like mm -hmm. you said earlier, sort of out of Michael's catalogue of work, have you got some real standouts that, yeah, you might not have worked on, but they really stand out that are favourites for you? Oh. right. Okay, right now, Dancing Machine still kills me. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. I don't get it. I and I got to go to YouTube and watch the robot middle eight. I got to do it. <laughs> um, I guess Blue Gangsta, both versions, I like. I sort of have, uh, I, I kind of have a, a random playlist that I go through sometimes. I have some of the things I worked on that I like. But um, ABC, you know, the early Motown sessions just, I, I still, still destroy me. Uh, I mean, I... I'm a nostalgic listener, you know, I, I don't, I'm kind of a lo-fi engine, like I can make a pristine, I can make a record like you wouldn't believe, but if I don't have to, I like making lo-fi records. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I like, I like getting energy, I like hearing early sounds, I listen to old jazz, uh, I, I uh, like grimy recordings, you know? Mm, mm. They're hard to do. That's why I like, they're hard to do in an artful way. I mean, you can, uh, you, you didn't have to try back in the day. They were automatic. They sounded old because it was forever ago. Yeah. But I, I like putting a lot of character into records. So I don't listen technically anymore. I listen purely nostalgically. Like if Michael, an old Michael Jackson song comes on, I'm bouncing around. I'm not like drilling down with my ears trying to hear the, yeah, <laughs> trying to hear James Jamerson, trying to get those. Ba no, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm bouncing in my seat, singing the lyrics. You know, so <laughs> even though I'm an engineer producer, I like going there. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I like yeah. some of that. Yeah. I like some of that stuff from the late '70s, early '80s. That really organic slap bass kind of sound. Lewis, yes. the stuff Lewis Johnson yeah. was doing on Off the Wall and Thriller. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, because. Because uh, uh, it was it was really hard to manipulate tape back in the day, so it, you 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 hear it was just more real because 
it was very played. You know, those records that had musicians, the, the drummers played those disco beats. Mm. You know, click tracks weren't exactly popular back then. And then, you know, we can only edit a little bit by cutting up tape. You know, we cut tape a little bit back in the day between drum takes and things like that. But generally, those records that you like, I like them for the same reasons. You plug in, you played, and that was the deal. So we we like how nat they're unadulterated. Mm. They're not pro tooled. They're not tuned. They're not timed out. They're not, you know, you, you had to drop yeah. in. You know, you had to craft those records before you you mixed them. Now you you make them when you mix. Yeah, so, I do feel that a lot of music nowadays does lose a lot of that feeling because uh, of the the what's the word for it the the accessibility of it all. Oh my gosh, it's um, yeah, it's uh, luckily I've taught my nephews. They're they're musicians. They are complete players. They I, I didn't even show them how to edit. Now they know how to edit anyway. They they <laughs> they they. They'll edit 10 milliseconds. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, stop yeah. with the editing all the time. Just play. <laughs> Which works. As they can play now, but now they also know how to edit. But I agree with you. You know, um, they, the, the records now, people t tend to tuck in the corners too much and, and cut the little phrase off. And, exactly. And, you know, you got to leave that stuff in there because yeah. people hear that. They want to. Like I want to hear the uh, I want to hear the singer inhale. Yeah, yeah. Flaws, yeah. Really, flaws of an album make it feel real. You know, it doesn't feel like a digital compo uh, 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 composed, uh, com whatever the word is. Composition, for that. yeah, yeah. Com composition, that's yeah. the word. It feels like a like a, a recorded event. I want to hear an event, not a constructed event. You know, yeah. so that's why a lot of fans love that stuff. From um, so there's a couple of really great demo tracks. Uh, that Michael did with his siblings, his brothers and sisters in their Havenhurst yeah. studio. I think it was Working Day and Night and Don't Stop Till You Get Enough demos where you can hear them like banging around on glasses of water and just it's just so yeah. organic. Yeah, that yeah, I live for that. Um, that's where it's at for making records, all records, any record, any artist, you know. So, And that's how I, you know, um, um, those are the artists I wanted to work with. Those are the people, those are the friends I kind of have, that kind of energy. I I was never, I don't have, uh, my engineer friends are that way too. I don't have the super duper technical engineer producer friends. I don't want to make records like that. <laughs> Michael, <laughs> but Michael does. I always did. I, Michael takes too long, you know, and, and, uh, <laughs> and, you know, but Michael can, you know. And, 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 and I don't mean to digress, but uh, when I was working with Quincy Jones, I asked him, I actually had a lot of guts back then. I should have been fired from a few, a few, uh, <laughs> few sessions, but I asked Quincy to his face, how come you don't work with Michael anymore? And he says, because I like to finish. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I thought that was brilliant, you know, I mean, and he, and, and, and Quincy was a bit incredulous. He was like, oh my gosh. And like, he was like, oh my gosh, Michael takes forever to make records. Like I heard that come out of him. But Quincy takes a second to make a record. Quincy is yeah. writing it, composing it, handing out the music, people recording it and he's mixing it and he's on to the next thing. So, and that's Quincy's thing because he's so prolific that he's just, Starting forward, Michael wants to wants to wants to uh, let his spirit just dwell on it until he can't anymore. That's really how he makes records. So he, he will take forever. So on that note, you know, Michael was definitely 
left to his own accord, Michael was a super duper editor, tweaky recording guy, no doubt about it. <laughs> you think that was his uh, perfectionism that sort of oh, yeah. slowed it down and maybe got in the way? Like, is that what your experience sort of was? Well, he only got in the way of time and money. You know, I, he, he didn't get in the way of his own records. I don't think he ever did that. I, I, yeah. I, I think he got in the way of his managers and his label wanting to save money. <laughs> yeah. Mm. You know, and Michael didn't think money. I, I don't think he ever thought about, like, figures. I, I think his whole life, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, don't go to me on this, but just judging by the way he worked and, and how he is and other people I know that are, kind of have that kind of money and that kind of power is that he didn't, he didn't have figures and dollar signs and when things cost, how he just did them until he felt they were right. It, it bugged other people because it cost them money or they had to figure out how to get the money, you know, because, you know, Michael didn't want to pay for his own records. That was for the label to do or the management to do. So, so they were watching his budget. He never watched his own. He never did. There's no way he ever watched his own money. And it, and it wasn't because he had he, he it wasn't because he had didn't have any reverence for it. It was just because he wanted to do what he wanted to do. So the record was done when it was just done. You know, he 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 finished when I think I think he was sort of forced into it more than anything cuz Probably contractually, he was going to lose something big, and that's when he finished. <laughs> yeah. I, I bet, you, I bet you, because he probably would have taken longer if he could have. Mm. But contractually, he may have been up against some, you know, some pretty serious penalties if he didn't hit a few dates, you know, at the right time. Because obviously, there was coordination between records getting done, tours, and advertising. So there's huge liabilities and things like that involved. So I think. You know, when you get investors involved and things like that, it gets weird. But I don't think it got weird for him. Yeah. <laughs> he just did what, you know, he just made the records. And I think if, if, if Michael bought anything with his money on the records, he bought magic in time. He bought inspiration. You know, he was waiting for that, trying to get with that. And when he got enough of that, his record was finished. And that, that's what makes him magical. And that's also what makes him. Uh, he's such a brute <laughs> in the studio. You know, he is strong, you know? I mean, um, he's got a lot of power musically. So, uh, and he uses it. And, you know, costs money. <laughs> so so did he, did he ever have any expert advice that he gave you? Or do you have anything that you might have learned from him? He... No, he was never direct like that. We talked about, we talked about like, like I would, I was interested in anthropology and science and things like that. So I would read the paper or, or things like that. I would chat with him about things that I was interested in that, that maybe, because sometimes he was really just sort of quiet, you know, a lot of the time. Um, but um, little things that happened would be like, he would mess with me a little bit, you know, he, when we were working on monster at that, at that point, he was driving himself down to the studio with Prince, with his boy, his little boy. And, um, he was driving this, um, kind of a blacked out Dodge Ram truck. It was bright red. And <laughs> it was totally, 
it was totally tinted out. And that's what dri- Michael was <laughs> open bed truck. And that's what Michael was driving to the studio. And he would just put Prince in a, in a, in a seat next to him. And he would just walk into the studio with Prince in hand. And Prince was maybe a year old, maybe 18 months. I don't know. A toddler just wearing a diaper, fuzzy head, you know. And, um, and uh, Michael just walk in and, you know, for a vocal session with no babysitter. <laughs> wow. So I, I had to, I had, I had to put Prince on my knee with my arm around his belly. So I had the, I had his baby on my knee, on my left knee, and I had my right hand on the remote for the recorder. So I'm recording Michael Jackson's vocals. I got a baby in my left hand. And then of course, not only that, I'm recording Michael, which is hard. I mean, recording him is really hard because he's fast. You, you, you don't want him to break flow. You're trying to keep his flow going. So I'm huffing and puffing. The kid is squirming around. A couple of times he hit the button in, in the middle of a vocal and cut the vocal, you know. And, <laughs> and then Michael's like, oh, Prince. Oh, you're so silly. You know, and, you know I'm like. And I'm smiling, having a great time to Michael, but in my mind, I'm going, oh, God, you know, how do I, <laughs> damn baby is messing up my job. You know, that's how I was <laughs> feeling you know, at the time. I was getting so frustrated. But Michael knew that. And it was cracking him up. He knew I was sweating, you know, trying to keep up with the session and huffing and puffing, t- you know, babysitting and recording a vocal. He liked watching me go through that, you know, so. That that's an incredible story. Just to hear that is that's a very, very different Michael Jackson. The real Michael Jackson. That's a different Michael to what the media portray. Like a guy just driving yeah. himself down to the studio in a Ute with his son. Yes, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. It, 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 I got another one. I can. I got one more story. It's my favorite story. I, I've told this to a couple reporters, but they won't print it. I think because it's a little it's a little risque. I guess. And uh, 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 and I, I and I threatened to write it down on a, on a blog post sometimes, but I'll tell it to you anyway because it's it's absolutely hilarious. It's it's awesome. my it's it's my greatest Michael Jackson story, and it's kind of pertinent right now. Okay, so it, it's a bit risque. So I know some of, I know some of his listeners are really sweet people, so I don't want to harm their ears. But uh, <laughs> but I know you guys are going. I know you guys are going. Yes, yes. Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. Yeah, we are ready. We are ready. <laughs> so we were. Uh, this was at the record plant, and um, and I believe we were working on uh, a place with no name, actually. And um, it was during that exact time during those sessions. This was the time when Bill Clinton, uh, the Monica Lewinsky dress was getting tested for Bill Clinton's DNA. Yep. Mm-hmm. You remember you remember that? Yes. Yep. Yep. So it was huge news. And of course everybody was waiting, the whole world was waiting for the DNA report. Is it Bill Clinton's, you know, on the dress? <laughs> so, you know, so I, I show up to the record plant early, you know, getting get ready for a session with Michael. And Michael's already there. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe Michael Jackson beat me to the studio. I feel like an idiot, right? <laughs> so I'm like, oh my gosh. So I walk in the studio and Michael hit, is walking right at me. He goes, CJ, CJ, you won't believe it. What just happened? I'm like, yeah. He goes, Bill Clinton, his dress, the DNA, it's his DNA. It's for real. <laughs> and he's all excited. I mean, he's like, oh, oh my gosh, you know, and and he's 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 just beside himself. 
And he's looking at me and like I should respond, you know, and I'm like, and of course, I already had my views about it. It was already in the news for weeks or months at a time. He was getting impeached or this other stuff, you know. And um, and I go, Michael, I know all this mayhem over a lousy blowjob. <laughs> <laughs> and then Michael, Michael doesn't like hearing bad words. I forgot, you know. But I was incensed because I was like, all this stupidity over this, you know. And so when I said, when I said that, Michael hit the ground. He screamed out loud, a blood-curdling scream. Um, and he was on his on on the carpet. He he fell to his knees and put his face in his hands right into the carpet and screamed out loud in laughter. <laughs> so he was like full-on, boisterous, huge ha-has. And so he's there right at my feet down in the carpet laughing and I'm standing up and I'm thinking I'm fired. <laughs> <laughs> it's all over. I throw up my hands and I'm looking down at Michael Jackson, you know, crying practically. And I'm like, Oh, CJ, you blew it. You know, that was a mistake. Yeah, Cause I get too comfortable sometimes with people and you know, I just, you know, I, I, I do what I do. I'm who I am. So, so, he gets up slowly and he's oh, oh my god oh my god he's like, he's like that and i'm like michael i'm sorry uh i didn't mean to say that and he's going no no that was so funny so, <laughs> so, and then he's walking away laughing wiping he's crying he was laughing his, he was laughing wiping his face and he walks into the lounge and closes the door and i'm like okay you know, I didn't feel I was like, he didn't let me off the hook. I felt like I'm fired anyway. You know, he's going to be nice to me. And then in two hours, I'm going to get a call from the manager and I'm out, you know. So I waited. <laughs> and a couple hours later, I didn't get the call. And then we kept working and then we worked for a few more months. So I I didn't get fired, you know. <laughs> uh, but he thought, I, I gave him a big belly laugh, though. He thought that was hilarious. <laughs> what a story. Uh, That's yeah, yeah. Very funny. He, he was friends with the Clintons. There's um, some great shots of Bill meeting Michael's kids and hanging out with Michael. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, then it's come full circle, hasn't it? Though? Yeah. You know, was, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I guess he was excited about that news because, you know, I mean, it wasn't him, you know, and it was very sensationalist, you know. It was very, I should say, sensational. And it was, you know, huge epic news you know everybody was waiting for this you know who doesn't like to hear a test result like that you know i mean that was <laughs> exactly yeah ridiculous news and ridiculous amount of time spent on it on the news cycle and it was just just ridiculousness so i was incensed by it but obviously you know it, it's hilarious and it's a sad fact of, of how it turned out you know but but it was comedy at the time. It certainly was. Mm -hmm. That was a terrific, terrific story. Thank you. <laughs> you bet. Yeah. It's my oh, favorite. Love it. Yeah. He, um, he, I mean, other little things, you know, I mean, he, he wasn't very conversational, so to speak, unless it was at the moment. And so he was a pretty private guy. You know, I, I got that from him right away. I kind of felt that Michael Jackson was kind of an alone guy but happy with it, you know, like, yeah. like, like, yeah, like, I mean, his, 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 it definitely 
I think his one of his favorite things to do was to be in the studio because he was animated there. I mean, he was somebody else in a way in the studio sometimes. He was just kind of sweet, laughing, fun, kind of not worried about people, you know? So when I saw him like that, I tried to help him with that as much as possible. Like, I didn't, like, I don't have any photos with Michael, and I wish I did, you know? But I, I never asked him because everybody was asking him for photos. Everybody. Yeah. You know, and um, he actually probably appreciated that. Yeah, man, I would like to think he did. And I would like to think I got the job because I never jocked him for stuff like that. You know, um, but the thing is, you, you might you might not have any photos with him, but you've got music with him. That's the one, too. That's that's the one. No. 
Hi, this is Rob Hoffman, studio musician and engineer with Michael Jackson, and you're listening to the MJ Cast. I did introduce some one one little story I have with Brandy. I I had recorded Brandy some months before, and and she was. I'm sorry, you know, guys, I'm just coming up with these stories randomly, so I, I they're not. Please don't apologize. Right? We love it. Okay, okay. <laughs> That's all good. But she um. She, she, I had ran into her at the, at the, uh, front desk at the record plant and she knew Michael was there and she knew I was recording Michael and she had never met Michael and she walked up to me like a fan, wide eyed. Oh my God, you got to introduce me to Michael. Can you introduce me to Michael, please? I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, I'm like, first of all, it's her and I want to keep working with her. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, like, cause anyway, anybody else I'd say no, you know, cause I'm, I'm also there catching stuff for Michael for him not to get bugged. You know, it's kind of what I do also. Right. So, but now I'm like trapped. I'm like, okay, it's, it's, it's Brandy. And maybe Michael would want to know. I, I justified it like that. Yeah. So I was like, I, I rarely, I rarely knock on his lounge door. So I knocked on his lounge door and he opened it up and I said, Michael, Brandy's out here. Just wants to meet you. She's just desperately wants to meet you. She won't leave me alone. And he's going, Oh, He's going, um, oh, my gosh, but I'm so stinky. And he meant that in the real way. <laughs> because when he gets in the studio, he's like us. He, I can tell that he's just rolling out of bed, putting on the T-shirt he had on the chair, throwing on some shoes and no socks, going to the studio. He did that sometimes. So he had on, I mean, Michael, you know, he, sometimes, he needed a shower sometimes, guys. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so... And he was like, oh, my gosh. And he knew it, too. So he was like, oh, I'm, I, I'm not, you know, he was like he wasn't together, you know. But he said, okay, anyway, you know. And so, so he had this wrinkled up old T-shirt on. He'd probably been wearing it for three or four days, you know. And no, no socks, penny loafers, and some, you know, just some regular old pants that he'd probably been wearing. Because he was in kind of in work mode. You know, get up, go to the studio, go home, sleep, get up, you know. You know how we do that. You know, we're yeah. just like, you yeah. know. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I I, uh, I showed her to his door and he invited her in and they had, they chatted for a couple hours. But he was so sweet. You know, he was like, he didn't care, guys. You know what I'm saying? So he wasn't that much of a perfectionist for his own. Uh, I don't have the right word for it, but he he was more sacrificial in his time with people than he was compared for himself. Mm. Like he could have said, no, I'm not ready or I need to take a bath in the sink or whatever he needs to do. You know, he would just like, yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> so I always thought that was, that was a little thing that I liked about him that he accommodated anybody that wanted to talk to him. I want to hear the story of uh, Brandy now. She's like, Oh, the first time I met Michael Jackson, uh, he didn't smell too good. <laughs> <laughs> so I bet you she didn't even notice. Cause she was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. She probably didn't even care. You know? Out of that meeting, they did little bits of work together. He did some amazing background vocals on one of her tracks called It's Not Worth It. Yep. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Uh, so nice job. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. She was, a, she was a sweet person too. I really liked her. And some great stuff in her catalog too. Oh, yeah. She was mm. great. And I think she did She did backing vocals on one of Michael's songs, didn't she, on Invincible? Uh, was it Unbreakable, I think? Yeah, yeah, I think she's Unbreakable, I think. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's good to know. 
Yeah. Oh, fantastic. I'd like to think I had a little something to do with that. I would think so. <laughs> there you go. Yep. So thank you for uh, introducing and asking Michael. Yes, yes. So, so what are you up to? What are you up to these days? Well, I'm I'm primarily making my own music right now. I'm 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 not doing a whole lot of outside production work. I'm just be, only because I just want to. I'm feeling very creative. I'm also working on opening a restaurant in Bangkok, Thailand. Wow! Wow! Awesome! Of all places. Yeah, I spent a lot of time there last year, about six seven months. Uh, I got a couple friends out there that have been out there a long time. I got some other friends that are moving out there and we're starting a restaurant. So uh, I'm going to do something really crazy and move to Bangkok and run a restaurant, barbecue. Awesome. That is awesome. awesome. Congratulations. I hope <laughs> it goes you. really well. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep making music like crazy. We're going to have a little, you know, little setup there. And, and uh, I'm getting back to fun. You know, I'm at a point in my life where I just want to have fun with music. I don't want to work too hard anymore <laughs> yeah, yeah. on music because the more, the more music I work on, the less I work on my own. I mean, when I mean other people's stuff and when I work on music, I go all in, I can't help it. I'm like, it's like if I working with Michael, it's the same working with anybody else. I fully invest my, my spirit into anybody's music. So I have to be careful <laughs> on whose music I spend time on. So I, I I'm taking that, that mojo right now and, and basically using on being creative, if, if you know what I mean. I, I can't stop doing that. I'm, I, I feel like being a musician more right now than fiddling around with software and knobs and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's what I'm, yeah. So do you have any future plans to release the, the like, when is the new album going to come out or, you know, do, do you have any, my, like, my, um... my record? Yeah. Your record. <laughs> well, to release, I, I, I definitely am. I definitely am going to do that. So I, I like to call uh, I, some, you know, engineers sometimes make music and they make terrible music, you know? So I, so sometimes I'm reticent to, to, because a lot, so many people know me as an engineer and not as a musician. So I have to get past that stigma, but I will be probably doing an EP maybe next year. I have about three songs that I really enjoy. I'd like to get a couple more. Yeah, and get a couple of my friends in on it, but probably around this time next year, I'll have an EP together. Fantastic. So, do you feel like you work? You feel like you work more like Quincy or more like Michael? <laughs> ah, ah, I'm a, I work more like Michael. <laughs> I do because I'm not. Nobody's Quincy, you know what I mean? And Quincy is like Quincy's got that thing where there's no process between his thought and finishing. Mm-hmm. You know, Quincy knows what it's going to be before Quincy even knows. You know, he, 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 his, his mind is made up before he records. So when Quincy records, it's just work and then you finish. So it's already in his mind. With Michael, it's a lot of people would say, oh, it's Michael's vision. Michael, Michael's vision wasn't set. It was a vision that he followed. He followed, he followed vision, not a vision. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, Michael, I mean, we, no one really knows how their stuff's going to turn out, you know, except maybe Quincy. <laughs> so, that's what, <laughs> so that's what I was getting to with that. I mean, Quincy's such a, a musical, magical beast in, in that aspect of being, you know, playing with Miles and Ray Charles and being able to score an orchestra, that kind of stuff, you know, that kind of level. Bananas. CJ, we've got a question for you that we ask um, all special guests that come on the show, uh, and it's 
it's a question that um, might be a little bit of a curveball for you, but um, sure. I'd like to know what, what you think about how Michael Jackson should be remembered. Oh, that's a good question. Ooh. Well, just enjoy the songs. That is it. I mean, what else should there be? As oversimple as that may seem and as disappointing that answer might be, really, I think Michael would say the same thing. So, I mean, if all you had were his songs, wouldn't that be enough? You know? Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, and then and then on the next level, we have his lyrics. And then the next level of that, if you add up everything he sings about, you can tell that there is a thing that he's into and it's love and it's just everybody being cool to each other. And, you know, so I, I think on, on, on that, I, I don't think he can help being remembered that way. Mm. So I think he's going to be fine. As far as um, people who think of him negatively, I think they'll fall by the wayside in time. Yeah. I have, you know, famous friends and wealthy friends and things like that. When you start getting up to the to the point of the pyramid with your power, the 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 people knocking you down, uh, it just increases exponentially. Mm. So for the size of artist that Michael was, the size of the crap he gets is 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 a ratio that's directly involved and it's the same for everybody. The bigger and more hardcore you get, just the more you're going to get you know, that thing from that negativity. So I don't think, I think Michael will survive all that ease. I think he already has. I don't think it's an issue, you know. Uh, just people tend to like sensationalistic news. And also, I'm really pissed off at, at the people who work for him that they go after him. I don't like the detractors. As a matter of fact, when I was working with him, I thought his entourage, like when I was working with him in 95 with Delena, his entourage was huge. Mm. Must have been uh, seven people. You know, well, I felt that I thought I, I felt the entourage was a bigger problem. You know, I, I felt some of the, you know, when you hire all kinds of people, you don't know you're going to get into some issues. So mm. I think Michael got an unfair shake from people that he had to be had to trust. Yeah. Michael, had, Michael had trust issues, obviously. I mean, what could he do? I mean, he had to play games and, 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 and find out what people were all about. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think maybe some of the things, some of the lengths he had to go to to find trust got him in trouble. Possibly, I don't know. Maybe some of the people he hired weren't who they said they were. But you know, he has to hire and fire quickly, so you get what you get. You know. Yeah. But but I think uh, Michael will be remembered for one thing, and that's the music. Yeah. So I think, so, I think that is a very very good answer. I mean, I, th I think if people would, if if throughout his career, if people would have just paid attention to the music and not paid too much attention to his personal life, I think things would have went a lot better for him. You know, okay. as far as you know, later on in life. So yeah, yeah. So, so good answer. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, he uh, and he would say the same thing. I mean, he put all his effort into it. I mean, he made videos and you know got invested in films and things like that. But Michael's me Michael's medium was the song. So he would say that. He would say, just listen to my music. Don't listen to anything else. Just listen to the songs, you know. And everything he's about is in there. Well, uh CJ, I think uh we're definitely getting to the 
the, the end of our show today. And I'd like to say thank you very much for coming on the MJ cast. Uh, it's it's really been amazing. We One of the things that Q and I love to do is to have people on that worked with Michael Jackson uh, in a creative sense. We feel it's a very important thing to uh, document and capture those stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank oh. you very much for being a part of what we did. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's a lot of fun. And uh, uh, thanks for reaching the, the cobwebs in my mind. I knocked a few <laughs> out. That's pretty cool. Thank you. <laughs> I feel a little lighter. Yeah. <laughs> So, CJ, where can people sort of find you online? Well, uh, my you can go to my Facebook and just friend me up at my Facebook. Um, uh, I, I, I'm i uh, a little bit off the grid. I, 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 I'm on computers so much that I, I have to be a little careful. So if people don't see me on Facebook for a, a week at a time, don't, don't be discouraged. Um, uh, I, I tend to go MIA on Facebook for four or five days at a time, but that's where you can reach me. So... Um, just uh, go to CJ DeVilla or Songworks or whatever and uh, friend me. And I'm there with all my recording buds. Uh, I, uh, a lot of people that work with Michael are on there. So there's some cross-friending going on. There's some more Michael Jackson people that I chat with occasionally. Awesome. Yep, we'll uh, yeah. pop links for that in the show notes indeed. Yeah, for reals. Cool. And Jenkins, where can people find you and your podcast, Moonwalk Talks, online? Moonwalk Talks is on every podcast thing that you, whatever podcast thing you use, it's most likely on there. Um, or you go to moonwalktalks.com. You can follow me at Jenkins with two eyes because I changed it from at who Jenkins. And I, it's because somebody has Jenkins and they, they don't even tweet. <laughs> oh, they that's, yeah. They I hate those They squatters. like made it in like 2009 and won't give it up. So I'm just like, <laughs> I can't even get a hold of anybody. Yeah, it's annoying. So yeah, Jenkins with two eyes. I'm on everything, Instagram, SoundCloud, all oh, that fun stuff. Yeah. You're good about it. I would I can't yeah. you know, I'm on the computer, I'm on the computer so much that it's like to be on it again. Oh my gosh. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. Besides I live at the beach. I gotta go down to the beach, right? What am I gonna do? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why would you be on the computer if you could be at the at the beach? Or Thank Disneyland. You. Or Disneyland. There okay, there you go. Even yeah. better. <laughs> Uh, and, of course, people can find us at the MJCast.com. We also are across all the podcast applications, so just find your podcast application of choice and search for the MJCast. We're across Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as the MJCast, and we're over at Tumblr as well. And we love your emails. So, we yeah, we look forward to you guys listening out there, sending your feedback across social media or email us, the MJCast at iCloud.com is how you can reach us. That's it. And guys, if you want to learn a little bit more about uh, CJ Devilla's work with Michael Jackson, especially on Blue Gangster and A Place With No Name, uh, you can pick up Damien Shield's excellent book, Escape Origins. There's some great interview material in there uh, between Damien and CJ. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that book, CJ. I got to say, that was the first time I'd actually you know, uh, heard about your work with Michael and it was fantastic. Yeah, I didn't expect uh, Damien to go so deep. And he asked some great questions. And he talked about uh, some of the interviews he had with some other uh, some other engineers. And, boy, he went deep. And he did an awesome job. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I recommend it. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Moonwalkers and MJ fam, I uh, hope you guys have a great fortnight ahead. Thank you very much for tuning in again to the MJ cast. And make sure to keep Michaeling. Michael on. Cheers, fellas.
Jcast.